everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Matt Queen. And uh, Dr. Queen teaches at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's joining us to discuss a new book called The Gospel Invitation, Why Publicly Inviting People to Receive Christ Still Matters. Dr. Queen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It is so good to be with you today, Cole. So I wanted to ask at the beginning, I saw this book and thought this is just a perfect topic for modern preaching. Uh, invitations are something that, depending on your background, you probably have three or four different ideas of what this means. And as I got further into the book, my thought was we need more invitations of all kinds, and we need them done better. And that's exactly what this book talks about. Give me a little bit of the background. How did you come to write this book? Where did the passion begin uh, for this kind of preaching? And maybe a little bit of your background. Sure. So a little bit about me. Um, I uh, am a native, uh, came from North Carolina. I'm now a Texan, uh, but I um, I grew up in a Christian home. I got saved at the age of uh, seven. Um, always kind of felt a call to ministry, but never thought I was good enough. And then in between high school and college uh, in August, uh, the Lord really got a hold of me on a Sunday afternoon, and I realized I wasn't good enough, and that's why He was calling me. <laughs> And because uh, if I thought I was good enough, I'd take the credit for it. So I surrendered to the call of ministry and um, was a I was a percussion major uh, at a little school there up in uh, Western North Carolina. So I finished that semester out and then I transferred to Mars Hill College and did a, a, B, a BA in religion and um, then in biblical languages. Then I went to Southeastern Seminary and did my Master of Divinity and PhD. Met my wife there. I've got two daughters. One's 18 and the other one's 11. And uh, I've been here at Southwestern Seminary for 13 years. I'm the uh, L.R. Scarborough Chair of Evangelism, which is affectionately called the Chair of Fire. It's Southwestern's first academic <laughs> chair. Yeah, I tell people I'm in the hot seat, you know. <laughs> um, yes. But uh, it's the first endowed Chair of Evangelism anywhere in the world. And so I'm the ninth occupant of it. And then I'm also currently right now the interim provost here at Southwestern. So that's just a little bit about me. Um, while I was here um, uh, doing uh, teaching, uh, Dr. O.S. Hawkins, who is well known uh, in at least Southern Baptist circles, and I think even outside of that, he's a best-selling author uh, with his code series. He uh, was a PhD student here, and um, you know, I was told that I was going to supervise him. And that when the person told me that, I said, "What am I going to be able to tell O.S. Hawkins? He knows everything, you know." And man, he was just so gracious to me. He always has been, and and so uh, whenever he finished his dissertation, he said, "Look, we're going to write a book together. It's been thirty years since a book book's been written on giving an invitation, and they've kind of gone out of style. They're in, uh, out of vogue right now, and." Um, so we we want to do that, and so that's kind of the background of how we came came about to write the book. Now, I think the first question for anybody looking at the cover of this book is, what exactly do you mean by gospel invitation? Yeah, so what we what we mean here specifically is is how do you give an evangelistic invitation in the context of public preaching? Um, so uh, you know, of course, you know if you share the gospel in a personal conversation. Uh, lost people don't know what to do. Unbelievers don't know what to do unless you uh, tell them what to do. You know, you have to tell them to repent and believe. But in the very same way, in preaching, a lot of times, uh, I, at least I think, as I've observed a lot of pastors, uh, preaching has taken more of a teaching mantle uh, than it has a preaching mantle because the very nature of preaching is to call for a decision, call for action. And uh, so, so kind of, uh, you know, invitations have kind of gone away. There's 
we can talk about some of the reasons I think that they've gone away, but there's some people that have stopped embracing those. So, you know, we, re- we, we, when we mean the gospel invitation, we're talking about how to allow the text that you're preaching, not just an add-on, not just a plug and play, but how the text drives even people to call, uh, be called to repent and to believe. Now, of course, we don't believe that's the only invitation that should be given in, in a sermon, but that is definitely one that should always be given in a sermon. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a distinction I thought was really helpful as we were talking after I finished the book is there's always the opportunity to apply a hundred things from a text. There's a meaning of the text and then there's an application of the text. I think what you guys have zeroed in on that's really helpful is preaching as opposed to teaching. While there is some overlap, the distinctive of preaching is calling for people to respond. And of course, the response uh, that's featured in the book is a gospel response. It's an evangelistic response. So, and we'll get into how the text determines this a little bit later, but as the, over the course of the sermon, there should be an invitation to follow Jesus more fully. There should be an invitation for people to follow uh, Jesus at all for the first time. Um, why do you think that invitations have declined in preaching? Well, I think there's probably at least at least with pastors and others that I talk to, there's there's probably three major reasons, major categories. I think there are some, and I think all of these people are very well-meaning. Um, so again, I'm, this is not to be uh, negative criticizing them or anything, but I think there's some well-meaning um, discipleship experts, and uh, with the culture of discipleship. You know, usually for whatever reason, within evangelicalism, you either gonna you're either gonna lean to the pendulum of evangelism or to the pendulum of discipleship. I think for some time now, at least when we've seen a decline in this, we've we've kind of gone to the pendulum of discipleship. And so with that, uh, you know, there is a strong push for uh, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ through a long time, long term relationship, long term conversations, gaining trust you know, which is in total opposition to preaching. You know, uh, a preacher cannot know and cannot meet every single person, unless it's a very small crowd. But if it's in a, you know, 100, 200, 300, he's not going to be able to know and meet every single person before he preaches with them, you know. So it is kind of an on-the-spot, it's a spontaneous uh, kind of decision. And so I think some of the discipleship culture, very well-meaning, has probably contributed to this. I think the second thing is, is there's some very, very well-meaning um, soteriological determinists, I, I guess I would call them, who who think that, um, well, they, they've observed, and, and listen, um, gospel invitations have been given before, and they've been given in the wrong way, and by that I mean with manipulation, with, uh, you know, uh, catchy, uh, you know, uh, little uh, things, uh, but pressure, pure pressure, if you love your grandmama, you're going to, you know, and the, these are these are things of manipulation. And so those ha, have those always been done? No, but have they been done? Yes. And so there's some very well-meaning people who have different soteriologies who say that this is too man-centered, man-centric, and it's not God-centric enough. And so they have said, um, you know, they've kind of put invitations and identified those in, in a way that is more man-centric to to you know be true to their theology to you know just say okay if god wants to save somebody he'll call them you know after i preach preach the bible or whatever i think the last group is very well meaning group again that are pragmatists these are people that don't have any any qualm you know with a discipleship uh, philosophy or even with a soteriological philosophy uh, but these are the people who uh, uh, come together and they've tried to do it 
and nobody responded. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe they did, uh, they did the invitation. And the reason people didn't respond is because they, there were some things that they could have done, not manipulation, not man-centered, but just some techniques, just like with preaching, you know, just some some things that they could have done better that God could have used. Now, God doesn't have to use techniques. I want to be really clear about that. Um, but they've, they've tried it and it didn't work. And so they say, well, this doesn't work anymore. So I think those are really the three major areas that, at least in pastors that I talk to, why they've not done uh, invitations anymore. Sure. One of the things I like about this book is that you guys don't make a pragmatic argument primarily for gospel invitations. You make a biblical argument. And that was that was interesting to me. I I hadn't heard some of these arguments before, but I, I wanted to ask you to lay out some of that case because the way you write is you're convinced that this is not just a modern preaching method question or one of a specific tradition. This is something you see rooted in the very basic elements of what has always happened among God's people. And uh, whether we call it preaching or, you know, in certain contexts, we see even God doing this, you argue in parts of the opening chapter, this is the way that God has ordained the message to go out. So lay out a a couple of the, the instances biblically where you would see a gospel invitation. Yeah, so I think um, you, you know we see this, see it all the way in the beginning in Genesis chapter three, when man and woman, uh, Adam and Eve, little Adam, little Eve, sinned against God, and they tried to hide their sin and shame, and they did that with fig leaves and their clothing. That still didn't didn't cover up enough, and so then they went behind the trees, and then God's calling out. And when God says, "Adam, where are you?" It's not that. Adam is a better uh, hider than God is a seeker. That that's not why mm. God's calling out. God's calling out to see Adam. Are you willing to come out from behind the things that you're hiding your shame in, and present yourself before me and deal with your sin? And so, you know, God didn't preach a sermon. God asked a question. You know, mm-hmm. uh, where are you? So it, it it wasn't necessarily in in the context of a sermon that God did this. But he called people in as much as public was back then with two people. He publicly called the man and then, you know, the woman uh, by extension out to 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 deal with their sin. And so we see it there. You know, it's all throughout the Old Testament. Moses, you know, right, right after the golden calf issue, he calls the Levites to come over to him if they they will, you know, put away their their idolatry that they've done and all of those different things. Um, you know, we, we see it with, uh, um, uh, Elijah, uh, you know, he's, he's up on the, uh, uh, up on Mount Carmel and he tells the people to come to the altar. I mean, in some ways I kind of say that's the first quote unquote altar call. Cause he calls them to the yeah. altar to see God do it. Now, again, I'm, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, of course, but, um, uh, Joshua does it, you know, who you serve this day. So, so really what I see is this gospel invitation and Josh Smith has written a book with B&H uh, academic a few years ago. Um, it's a, it's a real good book called, um, 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 uh, oh, uh, calling, um, calling for the verdict. Um, I'm sorry. I can't something with the verdict, uh, preaching for a verdict. That's it. Preaching for a verdict. Mm-hmm. And he really makes a good case that this idea of exhortation um, is is all throughout the scriptures, and I think that's what what uh, Dr. Hawkins and I were trying to get to when we talked about this. Uh, it goes into the New Testament. In fact, the, on the very first pages of the scene, you've got John the Baptizer who's uh, crying out, "Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand!" And then he's also pointed Jesus, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." 
Jesus, uh, you know, he comes preaching the gospel of God when John's in prison, saying the time's fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Uh, Paul, uh, Peter does in Acts 2, Paul does, uh, you know, all throughout his preach, especially in Acts 17, when he he says God commands all people everywhere to repent. So I think it, uh, you know, I mean, there's more examples than even, I, there's more examples in the Bible, and there's even more examples, excuse me, in the book, and there's even more uh, examples in the Bible. But I think those are those are some of the biblical arguments. It's not necessarily an ultra call, but there is this invitation to publicly and immediately respond to God's word. Right. Wherever you are. And that's that where are you question is kind of an interesting way to frame that, because uh, that's a question that could be asked of any person anywhere. And I think preaching needs to contain that. Now, what would you say to the response that uh, what about people that are preaching predominantly to Christians? Uh, Where does the invitation play a role in their preaching? Yeah. So uh, I think it's twofold. Um, You know, we cannot know. even though we assume somebody's saved, we cannot know for sure if somebody's saved. Oh, only God knows that, and and they may or may not know that. I mean, God would have to reveal that to them, you know. So I think even whenever you're in a place where you think you're only preaching to Christians, I think you still preach the gospel, number one, because there may be someone who has been fooled for a long time or has taken a step and they didn't take the full step, you know. Uh, but also... Um, Christians ought to rejoice in the gospel when they hear the gospel, because even by giving that invitation, even though maybe they've already responded to it, a pastor, a preacher, evangelist is modeling for the for the Christians in the case, how do you call someone personally to faith in Jesus Christ? So it's a teaching mm-hmm. moment as well. But then, you know, the invitation needs to also include a way for them, maybe not, maybe they've already come to Christ. Well, how do they continue to walk with Christ or how do they walk more closely with Christ? So I think that's you know, kind of taking into account what you want to think about when you do an invitation or exhortation uh, for Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, both of us have backgrounds studying preaching and history of preaching. And uh, when you get into this literature, one of the things you start to think about that at least was new for me, approaching this from a technical standpoint, is how little preaching in the church you actually have in the New Testament. You have several evangelistic sermons in Acts, in other places, um, you have letters that are written to churches that st- sometimes have an evangelistic piece. Uh, usually in Paul's letters, at least, there's a strong evangelistic piece at the beginning, followed by living in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about that as I was reading this book. And the the one maybe um, the one maybe counterexample I thought of was the book of Hebrews. I'd be interested to get your take on Hebrews because it might be, and people are are arguing about this, but it, it might be the clearest. Uh, instance of preaching to a church in the New Testament that's been written down. People argue maybe First Peter was originally a baptismal sermon, and argue that other places. But I think it's maybe the most sure place. It does seem to have a little bit of a mix between an evangelistic invitation and what I would consider the main invitation of Hebrews, which is to continue in the faith. How do you think that is a sermon, and how would you kind of approach that? Yeah, I think I think uh, probably if there is one book in the New Testament that is a sermon, I think it probably is Hebrews. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, um, I, th- I think you're right. Preaching, um, you know, when you see it in the New Testament, when you see the accounts of it, um, I think it's exclusively preaching is exclusively evangelistic uh, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now that again, that doesn't mean that during the New Testament times there were not other kinds. You know, Hebrews could sure, be an example sure. of that, but but at least in what we have recounted. So so yeah, I, I think uh, I think they're uh, one of the one of the things that really lends itself to Hebrews, perhaps perhaps being a sermon. And again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, um, but um, I think are the exhortations that come in it, and I think mm-hmm. that's. Again, I think you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit, um, you know, kind of hinted around, but there is a difference in the nature of preaching and teaching. You know, you read Paul's uh, Paul's epistles. He's doing a lot of teaching. Now, he'll, he'll have the right. gospel in there, but he is teaching. He's correcting, you know, whereas Hebrews, there is there is uh, some teaching going on, but really it's really cap, uh, you know, encapsulated and characterized as exhortation, you know. Um, you know, yes. stop drifting, you know, you're either drifting exactly. or, you know, so, so I think, I think you're right about that. Yeah. And I, I think that the teaching there is subservient to the preaching, which is interesting mm-hmm. that he'll, he's preaching. And in order to demonstrate his points, he's teaching, he's exhorting, he's mm-hmm. giving invitations. Um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought this is a great example of how these invitations often work together. Yes. And it, it brings me to what I thought was really unique about this book in in the contribution of all books on preaching and going from text to sermon I mean, maybe we should start by saying sometimes gospel invitations go wrong. And one of the ways they do is when they're kind of a departure from the text. And even the book of Hebrews, what you see is a very well thought out explanation of a text that leads to invitations. You know, the author of Hebrews is doing basically exegesis of some of these Old Testament texts in service of these invitations. That's how preaching should be done today is one of the things you argue. And in the third chapter of the book, which is called Planning Public Gospel Invitations, you walk through how to make these invitations a natural part, actually a textual part of sermons. Go go into maybe a little bit of why that needs to be said and then how to do it. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I think the the, the very foundation of, of why uh, Dr. Hawkins and I have this conviction is 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 in our is rooted in our view of Scripture. Uh, we believe that the Scriptures are infallible; they're inspired. But we would say they were in, they're inerrant. You know, they are without error. We would also say that the Scriptures, all the Scriptures, are sufficient. Um, that that's something that's you know you know I mean I think Christians would say yes the, the Scriptures are sufficient, but and how we apply that sufficiency sometimes doesn't always connect. And so a lot of times what happens is, is if a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist has given an invitation, um, you know, he has preached the text as if it's sufficient, but then he kind of unplugs and plugs in kind of the same invitation every week. I mean, whether he's preaching from Genesis or John, you know, the New Testament or Old Testament, it's I call you to faith in Christ, I call you to salvation, I call you to repent, and it, it becomes so, you know, um, repetitive that the people that are there, they've heard it all the time. They just tune out, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so what what you've done is, uh, I mean, not intentionally. So please, if you're listening to this and you're doing this, please don't take this as critical. But what I'm just saying is philosophically, as we think about it, what we're really saying is if we have to plug and play or put our own invitation in there, we're not trusting the text to drive home the point and to drive the call to respond to God in some way. And so there's a process that uh, Dr. Hawkins and I have uh, proposed, and it's a four-step process. There's actually like a little uh, exercise that you can kind of make a photocopy of and do it on every sermon that you do. But basically, it's a four-point process, and if I can just exp- uh, you know, tell you what they are, and then I'll explain them real quick. Number one, uh, to classify the genre of the text that you're preaching. 
Uh, Number two, associate the gospel message with the text that you've selected to preach. Number three, identify the spiritual needs or problems that are in the text. And then four, compose a gospel exhortation that anticipates the, uh, you know, the the loss that are going to be there with you that particular day to to hear hear the word of God, you know, as it were. So, so first of all, uh, understand the genre. There are many different types of genre. I mean, you know, it depends on who you ask, on how many you have. But what we what we try to do is try to be simplistic in the book, and we came down to three. And we basically said there is kind of the story genre, uh, there is the poetic genre, and then there is the letter genre. So. Um, uh, you know, a a, a, um, a story genre is going to be something like a narrative, uh, the law, something in the gospel or acts. It could be a parable, you know, something like that. So in that, you're going to want to identify the sin problem or the righteousness example that's presented in that story. And that'll, that'll help you kind of understand what the invitation is. If it's something like a poem, then you're going to look at a confession or a recollection or a promise that the psalmist or that, you know, the the person who wrote the wisdom literature is talking about, and that's where you're going to attach your invitation to. And then last, if it's a a letter or instruction, you're going to ascertain kind of what is the text teaching um, specifically to the, to the people. And then how does that connect uh, to, uh, to a relationship with Jesus Christ? So identifying the genre, is it a story? Is it a poem? Is it a text? And then the, the the second thing, you know, basically that you're you're wanting to do is to say, okay, um, how how now that I've got that that uh, genre, how you know what is the righteousness example, or what is the sin, you know, problem if it's a story, um, what what is the the promise or whatever uh, in the in the in the poem, or what is the wisdom that is is given out, and how does that how does that wisdom, how does that righteousness example, how does that sin problem, how does that relate to the gospel in some way? That's step two. And then step three is okay. Now you know now that I've kind of identified the gospel cues, what is it that the gospel can do for the person that's in the text? You know, uh, what are the spiritual needs that that the gospel can address? So, you know, for example, I think one of the things that we did was in Psalm one. You know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, and all that stuff. So, how how do you get out of bad company? You know. Well, the gospel can help you get out of the company that you're in. Uh, so, you know, you're kind of thinking through that. And then the last step is to articulate the gospel exhortation of your text. So what happens is a lot of times we just say, I call you, or is if there's somebody here uh, that would do this. But what we really need to do is to imagine who could be the kind of person that would be listening that, and, and really what we're doing is we're making a perspectival shift Instead of being the one preaching, we're saying, okay, if I'm listening to this sermon, what do I need to hear in order to respond to the text? So mm-hmm. like Rich Young Ruler, you know, what, what you could say is something like this. There are some of you here today that you're asking the most important question you could ever ask. It's the same question that the Rich Young Ruler, you want to know what can you do to have eternal life? So in other mm-hmm. words, you're using the text, but you're you're, you're trying to reach that person that's there in the in the uh, in the pew or in the chair or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think I think this is a way for us to do it. Do invitations that are evangelistic in such a way that uh, take away from manipulation because you're putting your trust in the text, but also are faithful to the text so that you're being expositor, text driven, whatever you know genre you want to use. Right. Yeah, that process I thought was just really eye-opening into the ways that you can integrate the message and the invitation with the text. Because I, I think one of my 
just bottom line commitments in preaching is that the shape of the sermon, the point of the sermon, the thrust of the sermon should mirror all of those things in the text itself. Uh, we we don't need to get too clever and re-engineer the text. We need to proclaim the text. And the text will do the work, but there's a lot of work on the preacher's part to have that happen and to do it through your personality. Preaching is more than just reading the Bible out loud. Uh, you know, God has called us to be instruments and preach it. Do you think in the midst of that, I, I think there's a richness that comes from preaching that way. I think allowing the genre, like you said, of the text to determine the way that we call people to application is great. Uh, there's a list of questions that I guess you guys uh, borrowed from Danny Aiken at Southeastern that if you just go through this list, things like, is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey, condition to meet, verse to memorize? I mean, there's a million ways that you can think through, how should I be calling people to respond to this text? And and above all, how should we be calling people uh, to come to know Christ in this text? Spurgeon maybe said, maybe didn't. I think I've seen an article that this is uh, apocryphal, but said, Hagiography, uh-huh. Yeah, may, uh, start in the text and make a beeline to the cross. Um, I've seen that done really well. I've seen it done poorly. I think the way you guys lay it out here is probably one of the best ways to do that. Is that would you say that's consistent with what you're describing in this process? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so again, you know, um, th- th- there there are different ways. I know. I, I think you did some study with uh, and, uh, uh, Abraham Caravella. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's got the Christ iconic and, you know, there's Christ-centered right. preaching and all that. And again, Christ should be at the center of all our preaching. I'm, I'm not, and I'm, I believe Christ is the center of the Bible. So, you know, hear me say that. But what I'm really trying to take an approach and what Dr. Hawkins is trying to take an approach in doing is to say, okay, let's let the, the text itself, not just what we think about Jesus or what we think about how somebody comes to faith in Jesus, but let's let the power of the Spirit work in the text and let it go. And so... Because uh, exhortation is throughout the Old and the New Testaments alike. It's replete throughout there. And what we're trying to do is trying to go back, maybe even in a a way, a historiographic, uh, um, um, uh, you know, way to to go back and say, what, what did the text mean? What was the call for the people then? And how can we kind of contextualize that for contemporary leaders, uh, hearers, not leaders, but hearers today? Um, So, yeah, I, I think I think you're exactly right. Um, the the text calls. We can always, you know, Christ is there, uh, but we we but this is a way of instead of just inserting Christ, this is a way of of us having to do a little extra homework, which means Cole that pastors instead of just you know studying their text and then kind of you know kind of going um, you know shotgun at the you know in the moment when they're preaching to give their invitation, they need to incorporate the invitation as a part of their sermon prep so that. They're able to preach Christ by the that uh, exhortation in the text itself. Mm-hmm. One of the preaching uh, lessons I've always admired was, uh, I think it's in Tim Keller's book on preaching, but I think I first read it in Center Church. You know, he's one of the great preachers in incorporating and making non-believers feel welcome when he's preaching. And one of the ways that he does that is through what he calls apologetic sidebars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always kind of thought that's a great way to put it, because as you're preparing for a sermon, you do want to create places where you're answering questions that people are going to be asking in their heads. You're making people feel included that don't believe, but uh, they're there and they're listening. And uh, I saw a lot of similarities here with what you're saying. You, we always want to be thinking ahead of time and answering ahead of time. Uh, how would somebody who doesn't believe think about this question? Or how can I appeal to someone who 
doesn't share the same set of assumptions. Do you think, and and we didn't touch on this earlier, so I'm, I'm interested to see how you answer this. Do you think the invitation always has to be at the end? No, uh, not not necessarily. Um, I, 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 in fact, when I preach, um, I, I have the invitation. I do always put an invitation at the end. So yes, I mm-hmm. do. But it doesn't. I don't think it has. It demands it has to be there. I actually give invitations as we as I go through the whole sermon. So as I'm preaching mm-hmm. it, and right there is it's hot on their mind. I'm, I'm, you know, making that uh, that appeal right then. And then at the end, I kind of draw all those appeals in at right. you know one last time, so that then it's then 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 it kind of transitions to a response time. Um, yes. But I don't I don't think it's necessary necessary to have to do it right at the end. Mm-hmm. Although I do usually do it at the end. Well, and you want to leave them with something at the end. But I, I love the way you put that. If you're if you're doing it all along and then you wrap it up at the end, you you harness the power of whatever it was you're talking about. Sometimes you'll see guys. They'll preach the whole sermon didactically. It's all information and observation. And then at the very end, okay, let me give you three quick, you know, applications or invitations. And usually you're running over time. So those get shortchanged. I love that when you sprinkle it through and then wrap it up at the end, you get the whole power of what the text is bringing uh, in the sermon. So I I would assume that a lot of preachers uh, are going to get a lot out of this book if they'll take it and read it. I would think that even uh, people doing Sunday school lessons and things could learn a lot mm-hmm. from a book like this. What's the what's the impact that you have hoped and prayed for in this book? Yeah, what what we what we would hope hope and pray for is ultimately that God would uh, bring uh, souls into the kingdom. And um, I, I I don't believe, uh, at least in my soteriology and theology, I don't believe that uh, people are saved through osmosis. Um, I, I I think every single time, without exception, even when God speaks to a person, for example, mm-hmm. Cornelius, Cornelius still needed a human agent to share the gospel with him and lead him to Christ. Mm-hmm. Even Jesus himself, when he meets Paul on the Damascus Road, he he tells him, you have to go to see Ananias. And that's when Ananias says, why are you waiting? Have your sins washed away. You know, so there's mm-hmm. always got to be a human witness. And by the way, no human can save anybody. God's got to direct. Mm-hmm. So there's this... You know, there's this partnership, divine and human agency. Right. You know, as as it comes together, and so what what we want to see is we ultimately we want to see more soul. God save more souls, and we believe that if pastors who have just a great opportunity each and every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever they're preaching, to have a great crowd there, uh, if 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 the gospel is not shared and people are not called upon to respond, they won't respond. Um, you know, I mean. May, I'm I'm not saying they exclusively. I mean, God can do whatever He wants to. So I, I want to be mm-hmm. real clear about that. But you know, pe- people come to faith in Christ because they hear about Christ, and so that's right. what we want to do. And we want to encourage. Man, we want to encourage the the pastor who's got like you, who's already got the PhD. We want to encourage the pastor who's got his master's degree or maybe his bachelor's or associates, even the bivocational pastor. We want to encourage the Sunday school teacher, as you said, in in lessons. We just want to encourage people that it you can do a, an invitation. That is not manipulative. That is not um, man-centered or pragmatic in nature. As long as you do a kind of invitation that draws from the text, that's the guardrails. The text is the guardrail to prevent mm-hmm. the manipulation. You know, again, you know, you can still sin, but that's that's kind of the guardrail that you're looking at. Right. And so that's what we would like to see. Uh, you know, God do all across the world. Well, I would love to see that too, and that's one of the reasons I appreciate this book, The Gospel Invitation so much. Uh, Dr. Queen, what else are you working on? What's coming down the pipe for you? 
Well, you know, it's been a real fruitful uh, season for me. In January, I came out um, with my evangelism textbook. It's my heart and soul. It's called Recapturing Evangelism. And so, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping there's several seminaries and colleges that have indicated me they're going to use that in the fall. So we're trying to to uh, pour, uh, push towards that. Um, I uh, also uh, just finished, we actually turned it in yesterday, a manuscript with Kriegel Academic. It's a book called Evangelism Matters. And so it's a number of, uh, in Southern Baptist context, some professors. It's uh, We have an international mission board. So the president of that has written a chapter in it. Shane Pruitt, who's a you know, widely uh, uh, you know sought after new next generation speaker. He's one of the editors and a contributor. So Shane, myself, and then Bobby Worthington at Criswell College uh, just submitted that. And that'll come out next year sometime. You have had a fruitful season and uh, we'll pray for more of that. Dr. Matt Queen, thank you so much for coming on the So We Speak podcast. Thanks so much, Cole, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. We'll be right back.